everybody, welcome to the 54th episode of our World News Podcast. This is going from August 6th to August 12th. Uh, this podcast is part of Atlas News. Check out the Lethal Minds Journal, a veteran and active duty publication focusing on foreign and military affairs, art, and culture. Take a look at the journal's Bolton from the Borderlands, a bi-weekly foreign affairs publication from multiple talented intelligence analysts and independent journalists. Head over to lethalmindsjournal.substack.com or Instagram at lethal.minds.journal to see more. Also, please consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash analyzeeducate, or you can buy us a coffee at ko-fi.com slash analyzeeducate. And we will head into the news. All right, so just a quick update before we begin. You guys have helped us reach over 17,000 downloads and over 1,300 followers on Spotify. So thank you very much for helping us reach that milestone. Uh, looking at the South Caucasus, uh, we've talked about it plenty of times before that uh, blockade of the Lachkan Corridor, which connects Artsakh and Armenia, is still going on. Uh, again, it's been going on for about eight months now shows no sign of ending other than that there's really not much else to update on just the fact that it's still happening looking at russia on the morning of august 9th in moscow oblast there was a large explosion at a pyrotechnics warehouse directly adjacent to the uh, zagorsk optical and mechanical plant that is owned by uh, rostock that is a facility that builds optical devices for the russian military this was in the city of uh Sergeyev Basad, which is about 60 kilometers northeast of Moscow. Authorities say that the explosion was caused by a drone that set off improperly stored explosive materials. Over 60 people were injured in that blast, which left uh, over 150 rescue workers being involved in the search and recovery operations after that. Nine people were initially reported missing, and Russian telegram channel Baza claimed that 10 bodies were found in the rubble, but I don't believe there's been an update on that since then. Uh, looking at the war, the Rapucha-class landing ship uh, Olenogorsky-Gorniak, which we spoke about last episode, was observed undergoing repairs in dry dock. Again, we spoke about last week's attack on the ship by Ukraine using waterborne drones. Uh, the ship will be out of commission for some time. Moving on to the Indo-Pacific region, China's Cyberspace Administration released draft rules outlining plans to limit businesses' use of facial recognition technology, advocating for non-biometric personal identification methods. This is coming from Real News No Bullshit over on Instagram. According to the draft, private facial recognition should only be used with individual consent and for specific purposes. Non-biometric verification methods are preferred. Quote, if there are non-biometric verification technology for achieving a similar purpose or business requirements, end quote. Under these proposed rules, various businesses uh, such as airports, hotels, and banks will be prohibited from using facial recognition to verify personal identity unless required by law. If facial recognition is used, national systems integrated with the government are to be utilized. The draft emphasized that businesses should not demand individuals to use facial recognition to obtain better services and that they should offer, quote, reasonable and convenient alternatives if individuals decline facial recognition. Uh, Restrictions also extend to areas like hotel rooms and public bathrooms where equipment for collecting images or personal information must not be installed. This policy shift comes amid reports that companies have assisted Chinese authorities in 
utilizing facial recognition and artificial intelligence to track Chinese citizens and target the Uyghur Muslim ethnic community. The Ministry of Foreign Affairs has called the allegations regarding the Uyghurs uh, pure slander and says that the moves are being made to, quote, improve social management. The Chinese government has commonly argued that this technology can suppress crime and deter criminal behavior. Uh, moving on, a Filipino vessel last week was attacked by water cannons from a Chinese Coast Guard ship while in Filipino territorial waters. That ship was carrying supplies to Filipino troops uh, on the Ayungin Shoal, but it was forced to turn around by a larger Chinese vessel, so still some territorial disputes going on there. And we will take a quick break. We'll be right back with Africa. All right, we're back with Africa, looking at Niger again. Conflict in West Africa is likely around the corner, as we and others theorized last week. On August 10th, the Economic Community of West African States, otherwise known as ECOWAS, gave the green light for a military intervention into Niger with the goal of deposing the military junta and restoring President Bazoum to power. This came just hours after ECOWAS activated its standby force to be ready for deployment. This news came straight from President uh, Alassane Ouattara of the Ivory Coast, which is an ECOWAS member state. Ouattara said that the operation will begin, quote, as soon as possible. He claims that his country will send forces between 850 and 1,100 men, and Benin and Nigeria will send troops as well. France, who is Niger's former colonial power, and the United States said that they both support all decisions made at the ECOWAS summit on August 10th, including those regarding military intervention. Mali and Burkina Faso, who are both also ruled by military juntas, we spoke about that last week, have pledged support to Niger's military leaders in the event of an ECOWAS military operation. Also, a Russian private military company, Wagner Group, is also active in the region. Wagner not only has troops in Mali and Burkina Faso, but now has a small advisory team in Niger as well. Uh, Niger's junta is still holding President Bazoum hostage and has threatened to execute him if ECOWAS invades the country. The U.S. Embassy in Niger has asked all Americans in the country to remain indoors and avoid all unnecessary movement. If you are currently tasked to AFRICOM or with a local MU or ARG, uh, pay attention to what's going on. Ask your S2 section for some intel briefs and updates and stay prepared. Also, uh, for quicker and more detailed updates, you guys could follow Cassis Belly on Twitter. He's, and I'm actually hoping to get him on the show soon to talk about what's going on. So if you guys are one of our supporters on Patreon, you could send us some questions you want us to ask uh, Cassis when he comes on. And we will, you know, be sure to ask him and hopefully we could get some good answers out of him. If you are one of our patrons, uh, head over to Patreon and join. That is patreon.com slash analyze educate. You could see uh, that and a few other perks I got going for you guys. Some other updates I got on the situation as well. The Nigerian Senate refused to approve the deployment of troops to Niger as part of an ECOWAS mission. They say that the military is ill-equipped to fight a war and must handle uh, Islamist insurgents at home first. However, there is a provision within Nigeria's constitution that allows a president to deploy forces outside of Nigeria on a limited combat duty. 
if he feels like national security is at stake. So it looks like if the president really wants to, he can send uh, Nigerian troops as part of this mission. Also, uh, Niger within the past week has closed its airspace and also Air France has stopped flights to Mali and Burkina Faso. And France has stopped monetary aid payments to Niger and Burkina Faso as well, which both of which heavily rely on international aid, as we pointed out last week. Again, 40% of uh, Niger's operating budget relies on foreign aid, so that is not a small chunk of change. Moving on, we're looking at Sudan, of course, fighting between the armed forces and the rapid support forces continues, shows no sign of slowing down. The war is so far forced under... 4 million people from their homes, uh, 926,000 of those have fled to other countries. On the 6th, the SAF carried out artillery and airstrikes on the presidential palace in Khartoum, the capital city, uh, which the RSF took control of in April when fighting began. Also, heavy fighting was reported near the Yarmouk uh, military complex in West Khartoum. Also on the 6th, the Ministry of Energy and Oil raised the prices for petrol and diesel. This is the first increase since the war began in mid-April. This also comes as banks have reopened in areas that are not currently overcome with fighting. The Sudanese Teachers Committee complained that the Ministry of Finance has not paid teacher salaries in 14 out of Sudan's 18 states since April. This comes as the ministry has apparently decided to only pay the salaries of federal government employees for the time being. Moving on, the RSF claimed effective control over uh, the city of Zelengay, which is the capital of central Darfur. They apparently laid siege to the city around this time. However, the SAF later claimed that they broke the siege and also repelled the RSF from the command post of the 21st infantry division in the city. SAF troops were redeployed to the western part of the city as well as uh, around the city's university and the neighborhoods of Al-Hashisha and uh, Al-Iskan. RSF troops were deployed to the eastern side of the city. The fight continues. Uh, as I was saying last week, you guys should take claims coming from both sides with a massive grain of salt. It's really hard to tell what exactly is going on on the ground. And uh, also on August 8th, the SAF claimed that it attacked RSF troops in Durman. Heavy fighting in that city continues. That is basically the twin city to the capital of Khartoum. Uh, the SAF says they inflicted hundreds of casualties and captured a man by the name of uh, Salah Hamdan. Reports differ as to whether Mr. Hamdan is a captain or a brigadier general with the RSF. The RSF denies these claims, of course, saying that they themselves inflicted hundreds of deaths on the armed forces. Reports also claim that fighting in the city on that day killed 20 civilians. All right, we're going to move on to the Americas. Bullets in front of the borderlands. The last thing we covered on there was some election drama in Guatemala, uh, some crime in Haiti, also the potential for an international peacekeeping force being deployed, and then a weapons deal between Bolivia and Iran. And just a heads up, the next bulletin releases on the 15th, so be on the lookout for that. Brazil. Uh, so far this year, Brazil has exponentially increased its purchases of Russian diesel in comparison to 2022. Last year, the country bought about $95 million worth of diesel from Russia. But in the first seven months of this year, Brazil has bought about $1.49 billion worth of diesel. This comes as Total Russian imports into Brazil has risen a fair amount in recent years. In 2019, 
About $3.7 billion worth of goods were brought into Brazil from Russia. That number increased over the next couple of years. And in 2022, it was about $7.8 billion worth. So far in 2023, the total number for exports from Russia, I'm sorry, imports uh, from Russia into Brazil was uh, $4.7 billion. Additionally, uh, Belarusian President Alexander Lukashenko has invited Brazilian President Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva to visit Minsk. Uh, Lukashenko intends to discuss bilateral relations with Lula, but that hasn't been expanded on further. If anything else becomes of that, we'll keep you guys updated. Ecuador on the ninth, Ecuadorian presidential candidate and former National Assembly men and journalist Fernando uh, Villavicencio was assassinated while leaving a campaign rally in the capital city of Quito. The week prior, he claimed that he and his team had been threatened by the leader of a drug trafficking gang. Uh, at this point, all we know is that I believe there are six suspects in his assassination, and they are all Colombian. Other than that, not a lot of details have come out, but of course, we'll keep you guys up to date. I believe this is the first time in Ecuadorian history that a presidential candidate has been assassinated. The election will take place on August 20th, and we will keep you guys up to date on the status of that as well. Looking at the U.S. presidential race uh, poll numbers, again, all averages from 538. Biden's approval is at 40. That is down 1%. His disapproval is at 55. That is up 1%. Trump's favorability is at... 40 percent. That's up by one. His unfavorability is 56. That is unchanged from last week. Looking at the Democrat primary, uh, Biden is at 64 percent. RFK Jr. is at 15 percent. Those are both unchanged from last week. And the Republican primary, uh, Trump is at 54 percent. DeSantis is at 14 and Vivek Ramaswamy is at seven. DeSantis and Ramaswamy are unchanged. Trump is up by one from last week. Moving on, of course, we got some Hunter Biden updates. On August 11th, U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland appointed U.S. Attorney for Delaware, David Weiss, as a special counsel. Weiss will use his status as special counsel to continue his investigation of Hunter Biden, which has been ongoing since 2018. This will make Weiss in charge of the current investigation into Biden and any other matters that may arise from that investigation. This came just hours before the DOJ announced that talks between it and Biden's legal team had broken down regarding his plea deal in the investigation that I've detailed in prior episodes. You could go take a listen. As a result of those talks breaking down, Biden's case may end up going to trial in either California or D.C. That remains to be seen. The Republican-led House Oversight Committee responded to this uh, announcement regarding David Weiss by saying, quote, the Justice Department is trying to stonewall congressional oversight, end quote, by making this appointment. The committee is referring to their attempts to get sworn testimony from Weiss regarding this investigation and that plea deal that uh, came out within the past month or so. The committee claims that this appointment will delay that process. Uh, also, another Hunter Biden updates. The Oversight Committee chair released a bank memo last week that details payments coming from multiple countries made to multiple members of the Biden family. This memo separates payments into two portions, those that were made while Joe Biden was vice president and those made uh, after he left office in January 2017. According to that memo, members of the Biden family received a combined total of $20 million in payments, 
while Biden was VP from sources in Russia, Ukraine, and Kazakhstan. After Biden left office, members of the family received an additional $8 million from sources in China. The memo claims that some of these payments went directly to Hunter Biden, such as his $1 million per year salary from Burisma Holdings that we've spoken about before, while other payments went to shell companies connected to Biden family members. Specifically, those family members include, but are not limited to, James Biden, who is the president's brother, uh, Haley Biden, who is the widow of Hunter's older brother, Bo Biden, and also Hunter's ex-girlfriend of three years after Bo passed, and at least one member of the Biden family that remains unidentified. This comes after Hunter Biden's former business partner, Devon Archer, testified to the Oversight Committee that Hunter sold the, quote, Biden brand, end quote, to business associates in order to enrich the family. We covered that in our uh, last news episode According to Chairman James Comer, a Republican, in regards to Hunter's foreign business dealings, quote, it appears no real services were provided other than access to the Biden network, including Joe Biden himself, end quote. Comer went on to say, quote, it's clear Joe Biden knew about his son's business dealings and allowed himself to be the brand sold to enrich the Biden family while he was vice president of the United States. The House Oversight Committee will continue to follow the money trail and obtain witness testimony to determine whether foreign actors targeted the Bidens, President Biden is compromised or corrupt, and our national security is threatened, end quote. Next up, we got an update on the two Chinese-born U.S. sailors that have been indicted for espionage on behalf of the Chinese government. Both of those sailors, uh, Petty Officer Tu Jingjiao Wei, and Petty Officer Wencheng Zhao are remaining in custody after they were both denied bail and labeled as flight risks. Within the past week, it's been revealed that Petty Officer Tu Wei agreed to work for a Chinese intelligence agent, uh, in part because of the encouragement of his mother. This was revealed by Assistant U.S. Attorney Fred Shepard of the Southern District of California, who did not reveal the name of Wei's mother in court. Wei's mother, who lives in Wisconsin, encouraged him to spy for the Chinese government while she hosted him for Christmas last year. She allegedly told him that if he agreed to work with Chinese intelligence, that it may help him in getting a job with the Chinese government later on in life. Moving on, on August 6th, uh, two helicopters collided near Cabazon in Riverside County, California. While responding to a brush fire, that collision led to one of those helicopters to crash, killing all three on board, unfortunately. Uh, those three are contract pilot Tony Souza, 55, uh, CAL FIRE assistant chief Josh Biscoff, 46, and CAL FIRE captain Tim Rodriguez, 44. The NTSB and the FAA will be investigating the crash to see what went wrong. Governor Gavin Newsom ordered flags at the state capitol to fly at half-staff because of this incident. Moving on to Hawaii, some devastating wildfires. Wildfires on the island of Maui have been raging. Also some fires on Big Island, but Maui's been hit the worst. On August 9th, one fire in particular slept over, excuse me, swept over uh, Lahaina, destroying most of the town and forcing some people to run into the ocean to flee the flames. This has now been confirmed uh, to be the deadliest Natural disaster in Hawaii's history, at least 80 people in Lahana were killed in that fire. That death toll is expected to increase as about 1,000 people remain missing again. This is the worst natural disaster in Hawaii's recorded history. Additionally, over 2,200 buildings were either heavily damaged or destroyed. 
as of Friday night, the Lahaina fire was not fully contained. It's mostly there, about 85%, but not fully. Thousands of people on Maui have been evacuated and continue to do so. Thousands of others remain in shelters. I believe about 45 people, excuse me, 4,500 people on the island of Maui are still in need of shelter. Uh, the U.S. Coast Guard and the Navy have been conducting search and rescue operations, having rescued at least 17 people so far, including two children. All those rescued are in stable condition, but unfortunately, at least one person that fled into the ocean was unresponsive by the time the Coast Guard had found them. Power outages, cell service, uh, shelters, etc. have all been greatly affected. Help will also be flown in from other states. Firefighters on Maui are understaffed and unequipped to handle this situation in particular as the island only has about 60 firefighters on duty at any given time and they do not possess off-road vehicles so they are in need of some capabilities. Verified residents and visitors are being led back into Lahaina but the town has been mostly destroyed. Uh, the town is a major tourist destination. It's also a, a historical site for Hawaii. I believe that's a seat of the old kingdom before the island was colonized. And in addition to the death toll uh, and the destruction that these fires have caused, the town's economy will take a really hard hit as well. Uh, power and communication lines are still out throughout most of Maui, according to Major General Kenneth Hara, the commanding general of the Hawaiian National Guard. A mixture of low humidity and high winds set the conditions for these wildfires, but he also stated that the exact cause is not known at this time. And that is all I have for you guys. I want to thank you all for supporting this podcast. Of course, it means a lot to me. You can find this podcast on your favorite apps, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen, we're there. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Analyze Educate. That's all one word. We're also on threads under the same handle, and we are on Telegram at Analyze Educate as well. Be sure to leave us a five-star rating on the app used to listen to this podcast. That helps us out a lot. Uh, also, please consider supporting us on Patreon, patreon.com slash analyze educate or at ko-fi at ko-fi.com slash analyze educate. We will see you guys soon.